Practical Joy, a story from February 1997, Grapevine, and Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier, aagrapevine.org. Recently, the hard work my wife and I put in has been bearing rewards of modest material security. New house, new car, money to buy Christmas gift and maintaining a prudent reserve, and more prospects for creative work. Though we've been working for these things for several years, they come quite suddenly in the last month. Our house plans have turned out especially well, so I enjoyed telling AA friends that I spend time praying about the situation and that what we ended up with is not all what I dreamed about and planned for. It is a lot better. People in the fellowship have a special warmth when you share good news with them. We all experience so much bitterness, loss, and grief when drinking than any affirmation of life turning out well. Affirmation of life turning out well in sobriety gives our nervous system a tingle of hope. Again, let me read that again, please. People in the fellowship have a special warmth when you share good news with them. We all experience so much bitterness, loss, and grief when drinking than any affirmation of life turning out well in sobriety gives our nervous system a tingle of hope. However, I cringe at AA meetings when I hear people claiming that their modest or great good fortune is a result of prayer. When my car broke down, I pray for God's will to be done. And the next day, my Uncle Bill called and gave me a car for free. Over and over at meetings, I hear variations on this version on how prayer works in people's lives as though this were proof that God gives us what we need. God is not Santa Claus, I wanted to shout in reply. Prayer and meditation are not application forms to some cosmic welfare program. The promises don't say a thing about getting back any of the stuff we lost to drinking. I know because I lost everything, property, money, business, everything. In fact, my net worth in sobriety has never equaled what it was in my drinking days. My reaction is a signpost flagging my need for an inventory, of course. The intellectual arrogance that made me a know-it-all drunk hasn't miraculously vanished in sobriety. In spite of fervent prayer to have it removed, but I still believe that, as our third and eleventh step insists, prayer and meditation are intensely practical, just as these steps claim. I was convinced of the effectiveness of prayer by the result I saw in my life. But this was years before I began earning back some of the material things I lost to alcoholism. I was two years sober before I was able to recognize how prayer had been working in my life from the beginning. When I came to AA, I had no higher power and no clue why I needed one. What I did have was an overpowering obsession to drink that I could no longer control. My sponsor told me it would help if I prayed to have the obsession removed, so without having any faith in what I was doing, I prayed. I also did a lot of other things my sponsor suggested, but only because I wanted the insane urge to drink to go away. My mental obsession with booze was a daily battle for almost two years. What I could see when the obsession finally diminished was that despite a lifetime of defiant self-sufficiency, 
I had the willingness to ask for help and then follow someone else's suggestions. This was new. I prayed daily for help with the obsession and was given the willingness to follow directions, something I never had before. I saw, too, that I'd been given perseverance and stamina. When this didn't yield instant result, instead of jumping track the way I had in almost everything else in my life, I continued working the steps one day at a time. I always work hard, but I rarely stuck with any one thing very long. This was new to me, too. I began to have some genuine trust in my friends and sponsor. I never trusted anyone before, and with good reason. I thought everyone was at least as untrustworthy as me, but I was giving self-acceptance. I came to see that, like everyone, I made mistakes and that this was not reason to dislike, shun, or manipulate people. I came to rely on the fact that other people could and would help me, and I saw and trusted other people's good intentions. When I began conducting my business affairs on this basis, I saw success returning to them. And even during the sober years when my finances were bouncing below the poverty line, I learned to be grateful for the simple life and friends and hopes that I had. After all, I come from a place where I had only the chaos and impending doom of active alcoholism. So I learned about the place of gratitude, the importance of recognizing that the gift in my life were not of my own making. I did the footwork but the results were up to God. Beyond working the 12 steps, I never understood what God's will is for me. I see that my higher power didn't give me the material things I thought I needed and wanted and deserve in life. My higher power gave me the emotional and spiritual tools I need to acquire these things and also gave me the choice of where and whatever or not I wanted to use these tools. This is all in the steps and it is a lot more than I had when I was drinking. Even though in financial terms, I owed more than I do now, if I hadn't been given the willingness to follow a sponsor's direction in the beginning and pray simply because he thought it was a good idea, I still would have no idea how to use the rest of the toolkit. Possibly I might have acquired the house and car and loving companion that I have today, but given the attitude I had when drinking, these gifts could have only inspired a sense of emptiness. I still have moments like that. Well, so I have some nice things again. So what? I still feel empty and lost. What's the point? A dry drunk. The gift today is that I have an immediate answer for, the, for that attitude. I get it every time I call an AA friend read AA literature, talk to an AA newcomer, do AA service work, or pray. The point is, is to pass it on. So now I have the means and the joys to carry the message, and what I see in retrospect is that I had the means ever since my first sober days in AA. Even when I was living on food stamps and had to borrow money during my seventh year sober the joy was always available too but i didn't know enough to pray for that i had to be sober longer before i understood the practical aspect of joy not the joy of owning the joy of living 
To me, this is the great reality of Alcoholics Anonymous, Ernest Ashram, your Carver, Maine. The joy of living. Practical joy. Our, uh, there's another story. This one is from August 1982. It's really interesting. We have two stories. One from August 1982 and another one from August 1997. And the same title, Savoring Sobriety. Okay, so let's let's go at it. I hope you're enjoying these little readings of mine. I get to enjoy them while I read them to you as my 12-step service work. It was natural for us to begin our journey of happy sobriety in Akhaknamath with an anticipation of trouble in trying to live in the now one day at a time. After all, we had spent years deeply regretting painful pasts and weeping about dismal futures. We are fortunate that so much attention is directed during AA meetings at the importance of making a matter of today's concern, not yesterday's, nor tomorrow's. If we forget that growth is achieved one step at a time, we are doomed to flounder in confusion. I came to AA as an agnostic. What besides the bottle did I have to believe in while drinking? I, I was started on my understanding of a higher power by hearing that God has time only for each today as it comes. If God does not exist in yesterday or tomorrow, then we can be at peace with our conception of God only during the now. If we choose to retrogress into the past or project into the future, we'll be alone in our thinking since God is not to be found in such areas. And the loneliness of stinking thinking is all too familiar to alcoholics. Living in the present rids us both of guilt and fear. Guilt can materialize only from an errant past and through fear from instruction, an unknown future. Resentment develops only from what has already been felt and fear from apprehension about experiencing yet to be confronted. Again, living in the present rid us both of guilt and fear. Guilt can materialize only from an errant past and fear from intrusion of unknown futures. Resentment develops only when we have has when that what has already been felt and fear from apprehension about experiencing yet to be confronted. If we are to find spiritual growth and serenity, we must dress our minds each morning as carefully as we dress our bodies. Only then can today become the glorious tomorrow we look forward to yesterday. Because each of us at any moment in the sum total of every choice he or she has ever made, it is not sheer fantasy to expect each day to be the best day we have yet lived. There surely never will be a wreckage in the future as devastating as what we encountered when we were gustlers, so long as we stay sober. At some point in each today, we, re- we recovering alcoholics need to pay ourselves a friendly visit. Ultimately, at our individual paces, we will get to know ourselves. Some AA members go so far as to contend that an unexamined day may hardly be worth living. 
to paraphrase Plato. Today's sobriety cannot be chugalogged like alcohol. It has to be sipped one taste at a time so that each drop of serenity can be fully savored. It is well to remember that nothing can replace persistence as a tool for sobriety, not talent, genius, nor education. When we alcoholics concentrate on living only one day at a time, we find that the best gift of any day is a fuller understanding of values. The things that count cease being those that can be held in the hand and become only what can be held in the heart. Hence, none of our real gifts can be stolen from us. We can lose them and through our own carelessness and complacency. It is a tough job for most of us to avoid procrastination. Of course, procrastination does not belong in one day at a time living. We must avoid the use of the word should. In AA growth, it is a put off until tomorrow word, an indefinitely word that accomplishes nothing. It invites rationalization. It is best that we substitute the word will, I will do, rather than I should do. Our program assures us that all answers to our daily problems are found in living in the now. Solutions that work for yesterday's woe might be outmolded today. Solutions that work for yesterday's woes might be outmolded today and reaching into the future for answers is wishful thinking. Perhaps all of the living today Lessons we learn in AA can be boiled down into this often make quip. A sober alcoholic who has one eye on yesterday and the other on tomorrow is likely to be cockeyed today. CC from North Hollywood, California. Woohoo! Thank you very much, CC. And our next story with the same title, Savoring Sobriety, but a few years later, about 15 years later, August 1997, during my drink, drinking days, my life was in free fall. I didn't think before I acted, didn't accept responsibility, didn't show up, didn't behave morally or decently. To rationalize this behavior, I presented myself to myself and others as a free spirit and a Hedonist. I really thought I was pleasure-seeking when, in fact, I was merely seeking gratification for my addiction to alcohol. I didn't see that my free spirit behavior, my selfishness and carelessness of my love life, my lack of commitment, the wild unmanageability of my life, weren't choices but came directly out of my alcoholism and my desire to evade reality. I had to see myself as a Hedonist because I couldn't claim more solid accomplishments. There was, in fact, very little true pleasure or contentment in my life. How could there be when I didn't have any peace of mind? Several weeks after I walked into my first AA meeting, a Monday night beginner's meeting in New York City, I saw my first copy of The Grapevine. I already started to read the big book, The Twelve and Twelve, and Living Sober, now I was looking at the cover of the August 1982 grapevine and I saw this short headline, Savoring Our Sobriety. I never thought I'd savor anything except bourbon. 
And here was this wonderful little magazine, which I never heard of before, saying, Yes, sobriety can be saviored. And the grapevine was right. What does it mean to me, truly, savor a sober life? What, is, what does it mean to me to truly savor a sober life? The most important thing is that I am in the present moment, not in the past or future. It means I don't speed by my, by my life so fast. It's just a blur. It means being quiet in my mind and not worrying about things. I can't solve today or conducting conversations and arguments with people who aren't in the room. I often have to remind myself to slow down and stay in the moment. I live in Manhattan where the preferred mode of existence is faster. Cities gives us the term rush hour after all. And in the rush and the hurry, I sometimes forget to breathe just like night as I walk down Broadway after work, I have to make myself stop to look at the evening sky and the last light fading on the tall buildings. Take a deep breath from my belly, count my breaths one to 10, and recall that life was going to start sometime in the future. The moment was now to relax, breathe, look around, be alive. Don't, cl <clears throat> don't clench, don't grab, slow down, Easy does it is very simple and very useful. Also useful in, is a small prayer of affirmation. Please let me wear the world as a loose garment. Something else I must do to save your sobriety is to try to accept other people. Even the ones I disagree with or dislike, even the most long-winded shatter in my home group or the person I heard complain a million times, haven't I tested my group's patience? I can save your sobriety when I am imprisoned by self-centered fear. So that means making a phone call to a friend or saying hello to a newcomer or making a point to sit next to someone at the meeting and catch up with what's going on with them. No big deals, just simple things. When I slow down, I can take pleasure in the many good things of this world. Good conversation, books, music, a meal for a friend, taking a walk, watching a movie, having a quiet cup of tea. My husband, who's also an AAM member, is an actor, and I, and I like classical music, so we combine our interests into an appreciation for opera and have season tickets to an opera company, which is located up the street from us. Seven or eight times a year, we get dressed up, all dressed up, and go out to dinner, and then sit in orchestra seats, one of the world's great opera houses, waiting happily for the moment when the house lights dim and the starburst chandeliers rise to the ceiling and the orchestra begins the overture. What a treat. We never fail to enjoy ourselves or to appreciate the fact that we're sitting there sober. We don't take it for granted a moment. Recently, we were enjoying a pre-opera dinner when I said to my husband, you know, we couldn't enjoy this so much if we didn't also enjoy going out for coffee after our home group meeting. How could I enjoy the big ticket items in my life if I didn't enjoy the little things? It's not even a matter of big and little. Everything's part of a continuum. 
the 13th century Zen master Dogen said that a cook must prepare a simple broth of wild grasses with the same care that he prepares a rich cream soup. Savoring comes from paying attention to the task at hand, whatever it is. I think that's where gratitude comes in to help me to better appreciate whatever is going on in my life. Gratitude isn't a duty I have to perform. It's a tool, a performed perspective, a form of perspective. It reminds me to appreciate the simple things every night that I go to bed and sober and not in a blackout. Every morning that I wake up with a hang without a hangover. There's a nice chapter in the story that begins 15 years ago. Today, I am a member of the editorial staff here at the Grapevine. This means that for the past several years, I've been part of a team that puts the magazine together and gets it into the hands of over 125,000 readers around the world. Somewhere right now, this month, a new member of AA is reading the Grapevine for the first time. And I want her to know sobriety can be savior. This is the gift we've been given, a real life that grows more vivid and more interesting, offers more to be enjoyed and relished and delighted in. I hope that if you are a first-time reader of The Grapevine, the magazine will continue to be your companion on the journey. It's one of the ways that many of us savior our sobriety. And it always reminds me how lucky I am to have life worth slowing down for. New York, New York, Anonymous. Beautiful, wonderful words of life. I'm going to read a paragraph that I like over again. Is I think that's where gratitude comes in to help me to better appreciate whatever's going on in my life. Gratitude isn't a duty I have to perform. It's a tool, a form of perspective. It reminds me to appreciate the simple things every night that I go to bed sober and not in a blackout every morning that I wake up without a hangover. Amen and amen. Gratitude is the bomb. It makes everything fly the right. Thank you for coming in and listening to me ran on but with the book, Emotional Sobriety, A Condensation of Grapevine Stories, The Best Ones. All right, let's go ahead and pray with the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, of thy love, of thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen and amen.